Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our program. Happy weekend, everybody. we got lots to get to here today on the program. Uh, to Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. So many storylines from that Thursday night game against the Philadelphia Flyers. Wow. The Flyers are terrible. So they did what they did back in the 70s with the old Broad Street bully routine. We'll get into two fights on the same shift. Alex Dabrinkit, get not only getting into a fight, but winning a fight quite handily. Some more injuries. Tyler Clevin's debut. Ryan Reynolds was at the game. Sends Leafs tonight. Wow, lots to get to today here on the program. Greg, how are you today, man? Great, Steve. Old-time hockey Thursday night, huh? They, they turned the clock back for a little bit. It was it was kind of exciting. You and I talked about it before we came on the air. I'm, we'll, we'll have to get into this for sure, how, how we feel about fighting in the NHL. Yeah, well, and let's go right there because it's top of mind and you brought it up. I mean, I was watching that game, and for everybody who's like anti-fighting, it has no place in the game anymore. It's 2023. I defy you to watch that game if you're a Senator fan and say to yourself, this is just not interesting to me. Like, I, I, I was more emotionally invested in that hockey game on Thursday night than I have been for probably, I don't know, 80% of the Sens games this year. And really, the Sens, they're a long shot to make the playoffs. Philly's long out of it. But the feistiness, the nastiness, the fights, that added a whole other level. And I'm sorry. I mean, I'd I'd like to go kumbaya and say, you know, let's all be nice out there. Let's play safe. But that was, as a fan, that was one of the more entertaining games I've seen all season. I'd be interested in seeing uh, the the what's the a survey based on and break it down on demographics by age and by gender. I'd be interested in knowing the people who are anti-fighting and the people who are pro-fighting, how it breaks down by age, because I have the same reaction as you. It got me emotionally involved in the game. And I'm wondering, are there people out there, the anti-fighting crew, or are there people out there who are younger, who are like, what's this crap? You know, I want to see some more Trevor Zegers dangles. You know, I want to see Timmy Stu doing his thing. But then I thought to myself, wait a minute, we still saw Timmy Stu doing his thing, right? In the same game that we saw some incredible offensive displays and some speed and some puck plays and stuff that was just amazing, we also had the old school stuff. So I'm, I'm really interested. I, I, I hope maybe there's some younger folks out there listening who want to flip us a, a text or an email or a... Sorry, I guess it's more like a, a tweet comment or something, how they get a hold of us. But I'm interested in knowing, it, did, did younger people look at that and go, what's this junk? What's going on with this crap? You know, were they all yeah. up in arms or or how do they react? Yeah, no, it's a good thought. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear from people for sure on that. Tim Stutzley, you mentioned him, 84 points now on the year. So he's guaranteed a point per game season. He is now the owner of the 11th finest scoring season by any Ottawa Senator ever. He hits, uh, he's at 37 goals now, just absolutely continues to roll. And the stat that I was most compelled by was the fact that the Sens, I think, lead the NHL now with no mm-hmm. less than six 20-goal scorers. And in 2023, that's a big deal. There was a time, though, Greg, and you and I are kind of old school, obviously. I believe the Boston Bruins in the 70s, when they kept running into those Montreal Canadian dynasty teams, I think they were in double digits one year 11. with 20-goal scores. There you go, 11. Wow. The yeah, times just, we haven't changed. It just doesn't happen anymore. You know, you, you, I mean, it's probably mostly due to salary cap 
You know, you got two or three guys who get all the money and you don't have a lot of guys who are who can still put the puck in the net with some consistency. That is a cool stat. It, it, and imagine if Josh Norris were in the lineup all year. Maybe Pinto doesn't get to 20, but Norris certainly does. Uh, Debrinket had a, had another good night. Like maybe he needs to be feisty like that. I thought he was going to get himself a Gordie Howe last night. He looked or Thursday night. He looked good too. I want to ask you about what happened to the Sens, though. I mean, with all the interesting things that happened in the Thursday night game, and we'll get to all of it here. End of the day, they had a 4-1 lead early in the third. They were out shooting the Flyers. I think the count was 87-5 to or something like that. <laughs> Hyperbole, ladies and gentlemen. No, it was a badly outshot game, and, and they were dominating the game. And yet, somehow the Flyers climbed back into the thing and got it to the shootout, and I think they hit the post at one point. And basically, they gave it away at the end, giving it to to bring it to deposit effectively into an empty net. But what the hell happened? Because I was, I basically had men's league hockey. It's four one. I go into the rink, and then I, I'm told after the game, and I, I PVR'd, so I saw the end. But to hear after my own men's league game that somehow, some way, the Flyers got back into that thing and took it to a shoot uh, to an overtime, I was blown away. So, what's your what's your opinion of what happened to the Sens there? I, I I want to chalk it up to just one of those things, Steve. It just mm. whether they did they lose interest or take their foot off the gas or anything. No, I didn't think so. They seem to be playing the same game. It's just Philly got into the zone and you know there were you know bounce here a, tri- a puck bounces over to this guy. He fires. It's in the net. Uh, a little bit of a miscue on the fourth goal, but otherwise it was just like did Talbot fall asleep? You know they just kind of got bored and they couldn't. Uh, pocket a fifth or a sixth or a seventh when they certainly had opportunities and it just ended up that Philly Philly scored when they had their, their rare chances to score they scored I'm sure Cam Talbot isn't feeling too good uh, wasn't feeling too good Friday morning but uh, I, I there was nothing I could really put my finger on that that caused the this sort of collapse yeah I mean I, I thought that maybe they could be blamed a little for changing their tactics because they were right on Philly the first two periods, to me, it looked a little like they went into the old classic hockey version of the prevent defense, kind of hanging back a little bit, giving the Flyers a little breathing room, thinking, okay, these guys have only got, you know, they're in single digits and shots here, so they're not coming back. They're not getting three goals tonight on us. And it looked to me like they changed their tactics a little bit by the time the third well, the period. Well, the four changed. They, yeah. they, they, they went to a really high, really uh, passive one two two. They had some good shots. Uh, they, they used the camera up in the end zone, showing it a couple times. I was freezing it and looking at it, watching how they were set up. And they were passive on the forecheck, but the D zone wasn't terrible. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like other nights where you watch some things and some guys all alone in front of the net. You're like, what the heck happened there? It just yeah. didn't seem like that. Just all of a sudden, oh my God, they scored again. Like, what? how's that happening? You know, and it was just, I really think it was a, a, a case of they got a chance to score and, oh, look, they took advantage of it. Now, we talked about the fights, mm-hmm. so we should get into the specifics of that. I think the if there's one thing that fans are going to remember from that game, maybe it's Ryan Reynolds, I don't know, but <laughs> certainly from a hockey perspective, Alex Debrinkit getting into a fight and doing pretty darn well against Joel Farabee, that was, I mean, I, I, I was a little surprised that, uh, that Debrinkit, and, and you know, honestly, I think he was already in a bad mood after being run into the boards by Tony D'Angelo and, and and was bloodied from it. I'm not sure if his face hit the glass or got clipped by his own visor, but uh, he was in a bad mood. And shortly thereafter, 
It seemed like Debrinket had run Farabee into the stanchion at center ice, not to the degree that Chara on um, Pacioretty was about a decade ago, but still caught him on the stanchion a little bit, and then it was on. And at that stage of the game, I thought, okay, well, that's a, that's a bit of a biting off maybe more than you could chew, and Debrinket did great, didn't he? Yeah, it was amazing. He just kept throwing them. Probably caught the guy off guard. Like, who's expecting Alex to bring it to get up? Like, you, in the NHL these days, you hit somebody, and if it's even remotely, even, it doesn't even have to be remotely questionable. It could be a clean hit. We all know that you got to, you know, be ready for it. Somebody's coming at me. I hit somebody, head in a swivel, and whoa, it's the guy I actually hit's going to come at me. And he just kept throwing them and throwing them. And the guys, he's only like, I'm, I think he's listed at 5'10, but come on, he's, he's 5'9 probably or less. less look I at, think. look at him stand beside Branstrom sometime. They're the same height for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, but you know, good for him. I was, I was impressed. And the other thing that I thought was really cool was the whole team basically coming over to the penalty box to, to give him the knuckles and say, good job, buddy. You know, they're doing fist bumps there in the, in the penalty box. And Brady brought him his stick and everybody's like, all right, good job. Way to go, buddy. You know, it was like a, it was a team building exercise in, in, in that sense. There was half a dozen guys. I think that came and again, he's sitting in the penalty box at this stage. They actually one foot in to give him the high five. I, I don't know if I've ever seen that before, at least to that quantity, maybe one guy comes in and delivers like, I don't know, after the yard sale brings the helmet yeah. to the guy or a stick and, and gives him a high five, one guy maybe, but this was half a dozen guys who came in and there was one guy at the end and, and clearly Nick Holden is really beloved in that room. He seems like an awesome guy and loves a good gag. I don't know what happened. I don't know if anybody who's listening right now has any idea, but after everybody gave the high fives, Nick Holden came in at the end and deposited something yeah, on, just on the inside. And the, I don't know what it was like. I don't know. It was like a little icon of something, a little Buddha doll. I don't know, but it was something. I'm I'm really curious to know what he put in there because he put it in there and he had a grin on his face like it was a real cool inside joke. I want to know what that was. Well, this is funny. That I, I noticed the same thing, Steve. I paused it. I'm like, what is that? Yeah. And I thought, I thought, uh, is it one of those little black bottle things that they sniff out of? You know, when they do those things. Oh or, yeah. But then I thought, no, maybe it's the the uh, the black thing from the top of his stick. You know, the little cap falls off the top of your stick. Maybe. I, I don't know what it was, but I did freeze it and, and look at it, try to figure it out. I don't know. And I thought it was kind of funny later in the game after one of the later fights, all the flyers basically got off the bench and went over to do the same thing with their guy. Yeah. Okay. That's it, it was it was funny. Like if the senators had done it, the if it had been the other way around, I would have laughed a lot more. In this case, I was watching it going, oh, it's kind of lame. But it what actually, you know, it's it was funny. Yeah, no, I, th I think the Flyers clearly, you know, either were laughing at it, making a mockery of it, or took exception to it. And so when Delorier uh, beat Austin Watson, the Flyers all streamed into the penalty box over there as if to say, yeah, okay, you guys are losers for doing that. Uh, we'll take a timeout on the program. When we come back, we'll talk about that uh, Delorier-Watson fight. And Delorier, I don't know, last time he saw a guy get in a fight twice on the same shift, it doesn't it used to happen old school and old-time hockey. I think about Ray Emery getting in two fights on the same shift, but it doesn't happen very often, but it did on Thursday night. Such sad news in the injury department. Uh, Ryan Reynolds was in attendance at the game, met with the mayor. So we'll get into all of that. Tyler Clevin's debut all coming up after these words. Sanctuary. It's just a wish away at the Lincoln Wish Event. Right now at Jim K. Lincoln, receive a $2,000 winter bonus on the 2022 Lincoln Corsair or 2022 Lincoln Nautilus. Or... 
Add Sanctuary to your list by ordering a 2023 Lincoln model. Contact Jim K. Lincoln before it's too late and make that wish of yours a reality. For more details, visit Jim K. Lincoln in Orleans or jimklincoln.com. ADSS Global is your trusted partner for all your accounting and financial management needs. Our team of certified Sage 300 experts will help you streamline your financial operations, optimize your cash flow, and improve your bottom line. We have the solutions. Hear what one of our satisfied customers has to say. The Algonquin Students Association has been with ADSS for over 10 years. Mark and his ADSS team are reliable and respond quickly to our requests and needs. Call ADSS Global today at 613-221-5950 or email mcashman at adssglobal.net. Now back to work here. Back to the fighting. Sens beat the Philadelphia Flyers by a count of 5-4 in in overtime on Thursday night. And the other fight that we didn't get to in the first segment was the fight between Nicholas Delorier and and Austin Watson. Delorier ends up with two fights on the same shift. You do not see that very often in 2023 anymore. We're talking about Ray Emery in that famous game. We had the big brawl. That was after Chris Neal had taken out Chris Drury with a bad hit, and then it was on. Basically, Lindy Ruff decided, okay, Brian Murray, if you're going to go after our guy, uh, Chris Drury, uh, we're going to go after your best players. So he loaded up on all these guys out there like Andrew Peters, Patrick Coletta was out there. Uh, I forget some of the other guys that were out there as well against guys like Jason Spezza and Danny Heatley. And so it got pretty damn ugly. And Ray Emery, the best fighter on the team, probably in that era, comes out and has to fight not only Marty Biron in a goalie fight. And that was kind of embarrassing for Marty Biron, the way he handled himself in that fight, not only losing it and getting knocked down, but deciding he would just grab Emery by the ankle and trip him up like, come on. But then Andrew Peters came in, and so uh, that was a good little dust-up too. So two fights on that one. Is, can you remember any other time where a player got into two fights on the same shift? Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about it, and I was waiting for them to say something last night, Thursday night there on the broadcast, and they never said a word. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I, that was the only one I could think of. It was the same one you thought of. I'm, I'm yeah. sure if you go back to the 70s, there were probably lots of them involving the involving the Flyers and that one, uh, that Montreal-Boston game, uh, the Montreal-Quebec uh, Good Friday tilt. There yes. was probably might have been some in there, but two fights. I mean, it's a specific rule. You can't have two fights, the same stoppage. It's an automatic game misconduct, and I'm not sure if there's anything else that goes with it. There may very well be in this day and age in the NHL, but... I couldn't think of one other than other than Ray Emery, and that was the best one, watching him laughing and smiling. He was loving every minute of the fight with Peters. Yeah. What are you thinking if you're DJ Smith that Watson would take a fight at that stage of the game? The Sens are up 2-1. The Flyers have absolutely nothing, nothing going on. I think at that stage they might have four or five shots. Why is Watson taking that fight from that perspective and from a heavyweight component like Delorier is a load, and I, I said right away, well, that's biting off more than you can chew, nah. and and Delorier probably wins the fight, and, and thankfully for Watson, he didn't get badly dinged up in that particular fight, but across the board, I wondered why would Watson take that fight? I I was thinking the same thing, and I rewound it and watched it. I was looking for a hit or something, and other than a, there was a conversation at the face-off, they skated off, they came around together again. It was obviously agreed upon. Most every yeah. fight pretty much in the NHL these days 
if it doesn't come off a hit, it's been an agreed upon thing off a face-off conversation. And that's all it looked like to me was like, Watson said, okay, fine, I'm good to go. I, I, I got to assume, I have to assume that it was Laurier who asked for it and not Watson. And in that sense, Watson's got to kind of has to answer the bell, although you'd like to think he could say, yeah, okay, kid, but maybe later in the game we'll get to it or something. But it, it was strange. The timing was was strange. Yeah, Delorier is, I think, one of the true heavyweights in the game right now. And I can tell you what probably started it uh, was Watson took a pretty yeah. long run up against Cam York on the end boards, and it looked like York may have been concussed initially, but uh, came back in the game. But uh, I think that's probably what the incentive was to get it started. My only question is that, you know, I just didn't think it was wise for Watson to accept it. It's one thing to be challenged, but I think at that stage of the game, not to mention for your own health, because it was a mismatch, I think, physically, uh, I might say, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, We're going to go ahead and win this game and uh, not give you guys any momentum in this. And then the other part of it is after the fight's over, why is Castellick getting involved exactly? (laughs) Something was said. There was had to be a conversation in there because Castellick kind of he was around the fight, but then once they they split apart, he kind of skated up and had something to say to Delorier. Yeah, and back and forth they went. It, the the strange thing was that the 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 liney seemed to let it happen, which doesn't happen a lot in the NHL these days. You know, I mean, maybe they've slacked off. You know, these kind of things don't happen too much anymore. No, it's fine. We'll just kind of casually escort them over to the box and everything will be good. And it seemed like even uh, even the linesmen were caught off guard by Delorier springing free to go fight with Castellick. Yeah. Now, the Sens injuries continue to pile up. That is an ugly-looking situation for Derek Brassard. First of all, Travis Hamanick gets injured some kind of lower body injury after uh, a collision with Nick Sealer. We'll begin there. Hamannick is along the uh, the half wall effectively with, with the puck, gives up the puck, and then it was like 1-1000, 2-1000, and then Sealer comes in and seemed to almost veer out of his way to pin a guy, you know, kind of bring the knee in first, to pin a guy that clearly doesn't have the puck anymore, and Hamannick is down in a heap and had to leave the game, did not return. What did you think of the hit? I didn't think the hit was that bad. I think that the this the timing may be a little slow, but it wasn't that bad. It was more of a uh, Hamannick was in the standing the wrong way or it caught him the wrong way. Uh, the interesting part was that Sealer pretty much turned around right away and said, hey, like, you okay, bud? Cause, yeah, he um, knew he I, did something. Yeah, I'm assuming that Hamannick uh, maybe – maybe said something or like oof or cried out or a wail or something, you know, or maybe a four letter word. And that's what got Sealer's attention to go, Oh geez, maybe I better and he turned around and checked on him. I thought that was kind of cool, but this Hamannick, my God, the guy, the guy gets beat up every game. Like it's something else. Remember back that, that was it the Ranger game where they scored three goals off block shots by Senator players. Like one went off somebody's face and one, the one that hit Hamannick in the throat, yeah. Did you know that it was a cracked Adam's apple? I did, yes. Yeah, like, I've never heard of such a thing. I just read that the other day that that's what that was. Like, this guy's got all kinds of, he must have welts and bruises and scars all over his body. Holy smokes, poor guy. Yeah, that blue line right now, it's another fallen soldier. You're already without Jacob Chikrin. You're already without Thomas Shabbat. Now it looks like the Travis Hamannick thing might be something that keeps him out for a bit. So, uh, yeah, if the miracle is to happen right now with seven games to go, the Sens are five points still out of a playoff spot behind the Pittsburgh Penguins. 
if the miracle is to happen, it's going to have to happen with a pretty thin defense, which I don't I don't think it was even I mean, it had improved with Chikrin and everything, another top four D, but I don't think it's necessarily in Stanley Cup shape to start with if everybody's healthy. And now you got to be without those three guys. Not ideal, Greg. Not ideal. And uh, but on the other side of the coin, though, Steve, uh, Belleville Senators have now pretty much fallen into the basement. <laughs> Less than two weeks ago, they'd, they'd made it into a playoff spot. Now they're in the right. basement. So, okay, it's not so bad to call those guys up. So here's an opportunity, I assume, We'll probably hear something pretty much right after we turn off the microphones today. I'm sure we'll hear who's been called up to play tonight on the blue line for the Senators, but maybe it's JBD and Lassie Thompson time. Yeah, maybe. And, uh, well, we'll go there next. I'll get back to Derek Broussard in a moment, but uh, Tyler Clevin made his NHL debut. And just in general, were you surprised to go to Clevin? Here's a second rounder who just left school. He's never played a game of pro hockey at any level. So he's basically, I don't, I'm, I hesitate to call the collegiate ranks boys because there's guys that are, you know, as old as 23 and 24 years of age, but it's still, you're playing against your peers, generally younger guys, not against men like you would in, in pro hockey. So you have a guy like Clevin, second rounder, like that. Then on the other hand, you've got JBD and you've got Lassie Thompson down in the American Hockey League. They're both first rounders. They both have, I think the numbers are something along the lines of 16 games in the NHL for Thompson, maybe 18, and then for JBD is something like 26. So if you have a must-win game, who are you going with of those three guys? I found it interesting that they chose Clevin, a guy sight unseen, who might have gone out on Thursday night and made a pile of mistakes over the other two guys who are both first-rounders who are supposed to have higher pedigree. I think what it gets down to is that I think that uh, those guys' stocks have fallen quite a bit in JBD and Thompson. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. That, that that to me is what it comes down to. They an un an unproven uh, uh, zero games experience. Clevin was more appealing uh, and deemed to be a better option for you to give you a better opportunity or to win the game than either JBD or Thompson. And that says a lot for those two kids who uh, you know you. you you feel sorry for them on the one hand, but on the other hand, they've been around forever now, it seems. These two guys have been in this organization for quite a while now and still haven't found a way to to break through and make the team. So, hey, Clevin's passed you on the depth chart uh, without even having played a game yet. He passed you on the depth chart and gets into the lineup. But the other thing that plays into it is I know Pierre denied it, but I believe the kid was probably promised a game at some point and it's Philly, which is one of the weaker opponents that you've got down this stretch. So maybe it was this was the best game to get him in anyway. We've been talking a little bit about the Thursday night. Sens 5-4 overtime win over the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll get into Sens Leafs as the Leafs visit again tonight. And uh, one thing we were talking about off the air, Greg, uh, and we brought it up a little bit in the discussion about Alex Dabrinkit. What was it that Nick Holden placed inside the penalty box after Dabrinkit won an unlikely fight there? Was it? Was it a little jar of smelling salts or something like that? But he had a big grin in his face. We weren't sure what it was. And it brought up the, I wanted to mention it earlier. I don't know if you had a chance to see tough guy Ryan Reeves. And this is a popular thing that has been for the last decade, the start of games where players grab smelling salts. And they've also got this jar of something or other now that they're actually opening up and sniffing. And it just blows their mind. They're basically, ah! if you've ever had smelling salts, you'll know how powerful that is. And I guess the idea is it's supposed to wake you up for the game, really get you fired up. 
Uh, who was it? It was, um, oh, Jake. He was a kid from Belleville that was up briefly. Grind. He was um, Lucini. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jake Lucini. Um, there's a funny video of him at, at game time where he's sniffing it, and it's like, it's, it's, it's just comedic, his reaction to it. He's just shaking his head like violently. It's hilarious. But it's common now. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Have you, can, have you gotten it. your head around that? Like you and I are old schoolers. Never even <laughs> dawned us to do this at the start of a hockey game. I pound the coffee before a game, but, yeah. um, never thought about smelling salts, but it's so common now. Like what do you, 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 you coach young players. Uh, what are you seeing? Yeah, I, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it with, uh, guys as young as, uh, midget, uh, sorry, U18. Uh, right. you 16 kids, certainly, you certainly see it in junior, but it's the little packet one where you snap it open. This is the first time I've seen this jar. Yeah. Um, I, I don't get it. I, I, I knew a guy that used to take, uh, what was it called? Wake up the pill. It was a pill. It was called wake ups. The guy used to take a whack of those, but to, Pretty Probably much caffeine, caffeine coffee is the is the biggie of the NHL players. And, of course, for a long time, it was Sudafed. Right. Well, every player in the NHL was popping Sudafeds. And then the uh, it was the Olympics that put the end to that because Sudafed, whatever's in Sudafed, ended up being on the list of banned substances. And the NHL players stopped taking Sudafed. So now they go to smelling salts. I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I just I don't understand it from from the reaction. Like it looks like you just took a big, huge mouthful of horseradish or something. and It clears up the nasal system and you're good to go. Like if that's all it takes to get you fired up, then I'm wondering what kind of are you in the right business if you require that. But anyway, whatever. Yeah. They, they, they use it. They do it. Apparently it's legal. Good for them. And this week, Ryan Reeves, who's probably right there among the guys you'd consider to be the number one heavyweight in the NHL, maybe the most feared fighter in the game right now. You know, he's on the bench before a game and he gets the jar out and then he hands it back to the trainer as if to say, this isn't strong enough for me. (laughs) And then gets another jar, maybe the super strength. And not only does he have a violent reaction, he is sick all over the bench. I don't want to, people are having breakfast right now. I don't want to. Yak-a-doodle-doo. Exactly. There's a good word. There's a good word. Uh, so that was hilarious. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked here. We were going to get back into the Sens game on Thursday night and Derek Broussard's broken. I don't, I don't, I don't, as we're talking right now, I don't know what the prognosis is, but that looked for all the world, like maybe a broken leg. It was just, he just got to kind of, I don't know. He got it kind of wedged under, it was the goalie or one of the defensemen behind the uh, flyers net as a goal was being scored by Shane Pinto. And the look on Derek Broussard's face was uh, one of shock, one of fear. Claude Giroux standing over him like, you okay, buddy? And there was almost no reaction initially. And that was, it's so, it's hard to see because Broussard has had a really nice season for the Senators. You get outside those 620 goal scores, there's Broussard with 13. I did not see that for that guy this year. And he's been a nice asset. And now he's going to be going into unrestricted free agency this summer. That's not the way you want to be going into a summer like that if you want to continue your career. So certainly sad to see, wasn't it? Yeah, over the, like you said, it was shock or fear. But from watching it, it was like sad. It really was sad. Aging, wily veteran. Is he on his last contract? Is he playing to hopefully get another contract next year? And when you see that happen, you wonder if that's a career ender. Uh, depending on what's broken down there, whether it's the the, sh- the leg bone, the, the shin, or the ankle, or whatever it is, it was it was Theisman esque watching it at some points, and I was just thinking, wow, that that might be the end of his career. 
you know, it was only a couple of weeks ago. He's playing in his thousandth game and being honored. And they set him up with a great watch and a bunch of wine. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a real neat sort of a beginning to the guy's sunset, whether that's at the end of this season or maybe in the next couple of years. Um, you hate to see a veteran or anybody go down with an injury like that. And in a game that was filled with mayhem, you know, all kinds of hits and fights. There was ample opportunity to be hurt in that game, and it was just a, a, a fluky moment beside the net that uh, that it ends up happening on. So the best to Derek Broussard and, and for Travis Hamannick, uh, for that matter, as well, who also went down in the game. So Tyler Clevin makes his NHL debut, as we talked about in the last segment. Generally speaking, what did you think of the kids' very first game in the NHL? I thought it was fine. You know, there were little glitches here and there, but for the most part, kid played very well. Uh, he's He had a presence. He's he's calmer, you know. He he looked calmer than I thought he would look. You know, generally speaking, your your first game, you might be up on the toes and running around a little. But he was he was very calm. He made some nice plays. He's uh, he's a big body guy, well positioned. We didn't get to see the shot so much. I'm waiting for that to come one day. But uh, I, I thought he looked good. What do you think? Yeah, I thought he looked really good. He had one play where he was in fairly close. Looked like he was with the face off dot um, to the right of the goaltender, where he was basically him. Uh, nothing between him and the net, and uh, and got off a good shot. Unfortunately, it was like in the geometric center of the flyer crest, but it was, uh, yeah, you see some, some velocity on that shot. I thought he had exactly the kind of game that I was hoping in that he didn't look jittery. Mm. He looked fairly calm out there, and uh, I think it's like the offensive lineman comparison, right? If you're noticing the offensive lineman in football, chances are he's getting burned and not doing his job. I didn't notice Tyler Clevin a ton. Mm-hmm. I noticed him because who's that tall guy back there that they <laughs> we haven't seen in a while. So I, I didn't think he was an impact kind of a player, but he did exactly what I hoped he would do in his first game, and that is not make these calamitous mistakes that rookies are sometimes prone to. And he gets an assist in the game as well. And I think it's an underrated play because some people say, oh, well, that was on the Giroux breakaway goal that Stutzla set up with a 200-foot pass, and basically Clevin just got it over to him. Uh, in that case, it was... Stutzler was kind of in the in the left D position and a D to D pass behind the net. But if you watch it, Clevin did uh, something that I think is a really underrated thing, particularly for this defensive crew. Uh, the four checkers coming in on Clevin. He's got the big body to take the hit, maintain possession of the puck, and then clip it over to Tim Stutzler. I think that's a really underrated play, mm-hmm. particularly with a team that has a number of defensemen who aren't particularly physical. And you've got a number of defensemen here who would have just backhand rim up the right, right wing side or hard clapped it around on the Stutzla side or the left side of the ice. Like he actually made a play, right? That's yeah. one of the things that I've whined about with it, with the D on this team from time to time is they don't seem able to just quote unquote make a play. They want to just slap it away. So that, that part was nice. He made a bit of a boo boo on the first goal, but I, I blame more. Uh, it's more uh, uh, who was he on with? He was with Holden. It was Holden. You're right. It was Holden. It was a high cycle play. Winger come up the wall, so so it uh, curls around the top. So Clevin goes down the wall on the left side of the ice, but then Holden went down on the right side of the ice too, and he ended up with uh, actually it didn't end up with a goal, did it? It was a JVR with a full ice breakaway and hit both posts. That was sort of kind of maybe you might want to talk to Clevin about that one, but it was more Holden than anything I thought. Now uh, before we get away from the Sens Flyers, I want to ask you about a coaching question. 
I honestly did not hear why John Tortorella was up in the press box. I don't know. The, it may be a case of, I don't know, he's got hemorrhoids and he can't be standing up for the three hours. I don't know. But I don't think that's the case. Um, he's up in the press box with interim GM Daniel Briere. Is there value for a team and a coach in the state the Flyers in, are in to get a bird's eye view of a hockey game like that? Lots of value. Uh, let's face it. The worst seat in the house is the generally the coach's seat. Right. You're standing behind a bench, your ice level. You can't even see down one end of the ice. Uh, it, it, the worst seat in the house is behind a bench. So to be up there and get a look. And it's also uh, like it might have come from Briere is his suggestion, but it's an opportunity for the coach and the GM to be on the same page while watching the game together and making comments on this player and that player and seeing how certain players perform in, in all situations on the ice. It's a, it's a great evaluation tool. Um, I, they mentioned that he even did it in an exhibition game, which is kind of, I, I, I've never understood why coaches don't sit up top for exhibition games. I've very rarely go on a bench for an exhibition game, but in the NHL, they seem to, but uh, no, I, I had no problem with it. I thought it was kind of cool. It's a good idea and a good opportunity for him to get on the same page with the guy who's probably going to become the GM. Completely agree. Ryan Reynolds visit will be in our next segment. We'll also talk about uh, Sen's Leafs, some Sen's birthdays and much more coming up after these words. Jim K. Ford has been serving Ottawa since 1982, one of the longest-running dealerships in the entire city. They've always been family-owned and operated, and their amazing team of professionals from sales to service is constantly training and improving to provide you with the best possible customer experience. And, of course, they're always ready to say yes. Check out JimKFord.com or visit them at 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! This is Ryan. Ryan would love to start his own podcast as a fun way to create content for all his platforms, to better connect with his customers, and build a new audience. But Ryan isn't great with technology, and he has a lot of questions. What's the easiest way to record a high-quality podcast? What equipment will he need? How does he get his podcast online? Capital Podcast had all of Ryan's answers. Easy, convenient, professional. Contact us today and star in your own show with CapitalPodcast.ca. Welcome back to the program. It is Steve and the coach, Greg Kennedy. And is that, is that like a fire back there behind you? What is that? Is this smoking in the back of your... What? What is that? It's like, it's like smoke or something? No, I'm kidding. It's April Fool's, so I thought I'd try something. I don't know. Oh, God. Ladies and gentlemen, speaking of yeah. April Fool's, the Leafs are in town tonight. <laughs> Last time the Leafs were here, the Sens lose in a nine-round shootout. So uh, that was an exciting game, though. The Sens scored two late third-period goals to tie it, but could not seal the deal as they lost in the skills competition again in a nine-round shootout. You were talking off the air about Marty St. Louis' selections, and we'll get back to Sens talk here in a second. But Marty St. Louis' selections in a Habs shootout this week were um, interesting, to say the least. Yeah, it was, it was, I, 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 all I can think is it's, you know, it's late in the year. Let's give some guys some opportunities. Let's have some fun. Like Suzuki went first, but the second shooter was Jonathan Drouin. And maybe that's a give the guy some confidence. I don't know what the reasoning was for Drouin, but the third shooter was Mike Matheson. The fourth shooter was, uh, Jesse Yelonen. And the mm-hmm. fifth shooter was Jonathan Kovacevic. All of this before Michael Pozzetta gets a shot. And he, of course, scored and did the Tiger Williams ride the broom trick after his goal. (laughs) But the players were loving it and having a lot of fun with it. It it reminded me of 
late in uh, two games ago for the Senators when they had all the injuries and it was late in the game and uh, let's make sure we protect this lead. And Travis Hamanick was out of the power play. Did you catch the, the glimpse of him after the goal? He looked over the bench and smiled at the boys with, hey, look at me, guys. I got a point in the peeper here. Yeah, it reminded <laughs> me of that. It was just a little opportunity for Marty St. Louis to do a little team building and, and have some fun with the team. And they ended up winning. And I, you know, I got to think that if it was a different game and they were actually in a playoff race or something, they wouldn't have done it. So I thought, I just thought it was kind of cool. Are we really calling the power play the peeper? Yeah, that's what we do. That's what it's called. Yeah, (laughs) we're on the peeper. All right. Fair enough. Was it, was it just for fun with the boys though? Or was maybe their little, uh, not, not a little tankerage, maybe a little trying to improve my lottery uh, status. Uh, any of that? They're a long way from doing that. They're, they're, uh, they're doing too well, I think, aren't they? Well, they're not near the bottom, but they still, they will be a lottery team. You can, yeah. I think it's, I don't know, how many, te- how many teams can move up? Is it 10 or something like that to the number one selection? They don't have a right. great shot, but you know, you don't, maybe you don't want to worsen your selection or, you know, by going out and winning a shootout. I don't care what the Montreal Canadiens are doing. It's not about the Montreal Canadiens right now. It's about the Sens as they get ready for the Leafs tonight. And we look back to Thursday night, Ryan Reynolds was in attendance once again his second time since announcing that he is interested in being the next or part of the next ownership of the Ottawa Senators. He met with the mayor and uh, posed at the game with fans who were dressed as Deadpool. He was an absolute rock star out there. Before we get into what The Athletic talked about on their podcast this week, which I thought was very interesting, he brought that to my attention. How about the transition from you know, to go to the, if it ends up being Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, the transition going to the affable Ryan Reynolds after two decades of Eugene Melnick as the <laughs> owner of this team, that's really going to be something, isn't it? Yeah. I, I wonder if, if they do win, if he is part of the ownership group, is he, is he going to be sitting in a 200 level box like that every game? Like that's pretty cool. Yeah. I just, it, it's, everybody is so excited. Like it just, I can't help thinking it'll be such an Ottawa Senator thing to have somebody buy this team other than Ryan Reynolds and he's not involved. Like I could just, I could see it happening, Steve. It's, yeah. it's, it's baby clothes all over again. It's the Uber ride all over again. It's such an Ottawa Senator thing that at the, when all is said and done, he's not involved in any way. I could, oh, I could see it happening. Oh, that would stink. <laughs> that would stink at this point. Um, I mean, his, his second visit makes it even, uh, a more coveted thing for Sens fans for that to happen. But uh, Ian Mendez in The Athletic and uh, Down Goes Brown, uh, conversation they had on their podcast was a very interesting one because I think we all love the idea of Ryan Reynolds being part of the ownership, marketing the hell out of this team as he did in the Welcome for Wrexham series, fifth-tier soccer club in Wrexham in Wales. And we love that idea. We love the idea that he's around you know, kind of putting a face to the franchise. But as the fellows were talking about, he could have a more hands-on role than maybe we would have imagined. Well, it was Ian that brought it up, talking about why, like Sean asked, like, why is he with this group? And is he going to be able to switch to another group if they don't get it? Right. And we're pretty sure that that can happen, that that will be allowed. But I'm just, uh, the point was, and Ian brought it up, is that he went with Remington because these guys are real estate guys. And he pretty much was assured, yeah, you know, you're going to run the hockey team. You're, you're, you're going to be the, 
the owner, the face, the, the the guy running the hockey side of things. We're just want we're just going to do a real estate stuff, and that was the final sinker there that got him to go with Remington in the first place. And it, I'm I'm kind of torn on it. Like I know your first reaction was, I think it's I think it's his job in that he's a comic actor, and I don't know yeah. if I want a comic actor to be responsible for anything hockey related. You know, marketing, yes, but it, you know that that's a lot more involved than I would have thought. But what do any of these guys who are running hockey operations or hockey exactly. franchises have? We don't know much about them. We just assume this is massive hockey background. And in a lot of cases, there's not. So maybe it'll be fine. You got the Molson family ran the Habs for decades. Okay, so I can run a brewery. Does that mean I'm qualified to run a hockey team? Is yeah. the guy that ran the brewery more qualified than the, the comic actor? Right. You had Wayne Huizenga, Mr. Uh, uh, Blockbuster, who was the owner of the Florida Panthers. Okay. All right. Oh, well, he must know what he's doing. You know, yeah. I, I, there's a comic actor running the, the country, uh, the Ukraine. I think he knows what he's doing. You know, I, 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 there's a, that's why I said I'm kind of torn on it. Yeah. I'm like you. My first reaction was, wow, is he really going to run things or is he just going to hire people to run things and he'll be the final, he'll have the final say on matters. But then I started thinking of all these other guys. I don't even know what any of these other owners do or did before they were owners of a hockey team. So what does that really matter, I guess, is my big question. Yeah, probably not. I think, as I've always said, whether you're talking about, you know, because here in Ottawa, in my many years of covering Ottawa sports, between the Rough Riders and the Red Blacks and the Senators, we've seen more than our share of comedic performances within a football or hockey organization. Let's be honest. Ottawa's had way, way more than its share. But whether it's Ryan Reynolds or anybody else, if you're at the top of the food chain, you hire yourself a president who knows what he's doing. He's smart. He makes good decisions. He invests properly. And if he if that hire is good, everything else trickles down nicely from there. He hires the great general manager who hires the great head coach, the great hockey ops staff. And that's the big hire. So long as Ryan Reynolds isn't planning to be that president, then I think everything's going to be just okay. And I think at his heart, yeah, we we know him as, as a silly actor, um, but and and a nice guy. But I think at his heart, he's a smart guy too. I don't oh, I don't yeah. think you get you know, Mint Mobile, Aviation Gin, the career that he's had. Uh, he's not a dumb human being. I think it'll be great. I agree. This, I, I just, I, again, I said this last week. I'm going to say it again this week. Let's just get on with it. Like, get it done. <laughs> the Sens will have their handful this weekend. Uh, I'm glad it's in the order that it is. The Sens get the Leafs tonight at home, and then it is a, a quick turnaround. So a 7 o'clock game tonight at home against Toronto, and then a 6 o'clock game tomorrow in Columbus. I'm glad it's not the opposite direction. They get the mm-hmm. lesser team in the second game, but... Uh, Certainly not ideal circumstances for a team that absolutely must run the table in these final seven games and then hope for help probably on top of that. Do you think seven games, if they was 7-0 and here, would that be enough or would they need help on top of that as well? Well, they're going to need lots of help. Like You've got too many teams ahead of you. It's it's not necessarily – well, yeah, okay, part of it is you've got to pass so many teams. But the other thing is those teams are playing. <laughs> they still got yeah. games left. It's not like they're, they're frozen with that point total. So and, and they play each other. So there's three point games in there. I, I honestly believe. Well, we should write it all down right now and figure it out. If, if we can look back on it, if they'd gone seven and zero, would they have made the playoffs? I, I I don't think they could. I think they there there needs to be some some serious losses in there as well. 
Yeah. And I guess we have to define what help actually looks like. Well, of course, if Pittsburgh goes 7-0 and at the same time, they can't catch them. So ergo, somebody's going to have to beat Pittsburgh, and there's the help you're looking for. But I'm just talking about the help of a team like Pittsburgh maybe you know, when they've they're they've been, I don't know, a five fifty team through most of the season. They're gonna have to play below that for the Sens, obviously, to catch up to them. Um, anyway, so it's gonna be interesting. Sens Leafs tonight. What are you expecting? Are we expecting another rowdy performance like we saw on Thursday night? Uh, or is this all skill? <laughs> uh, there'll be a lot less fighting, that's for sure. Agreed. Agreed. All right, well that will do it for this week's show, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for joining us here. Greg, enjoy your Saturday and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Steve. Bye now. Thanks for being with us on the Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com.